0: Good morning, Watermark. Today's scripture is Matthew twenty-one eighteen through 27. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Then Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things.
1: All right, thanks a lot. Oh, perfect. All right. How's everybody doing? Are all right? Okay. Good, 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 good. Um, So, two things happen in this passage. There's a thing with a fig tree that a lot of people scratch their heads at. And then for some reason it's followed up by a confrontation about authority in the temple uh, these two things go perfectly together, even though they don 't look like they do and we 're going to talk about that and talk about why and what is going on here and uh, This is a wild passage uh, when you like when you when you look at it from a first century perspective so let 's pray um, and ask for presence of mind and heart and uh, yeah let 's do this shall we let 's pray Father, we come to you and we ask for uh, unity of heart, and unity of mind we ask for presence of heart and mind I ask that you would Reveal to us some things that we need to see, some things that we haven't uh, been privy to, some things that um, our eyes need to be opened about. I ask that as I speak that I would, I would speak clearly, um, that uh, these thoughts would be received and mold over in people's minds and, and hearts and minds and that, uh, and that we would all collectively um, be molded into your fashion, your image. May our lives take on, uh, every time we gather, may, may our lives take on um, a little more of your presence, a little more of, uh, of your image, and let people see that in us. Thank you, Father. Um, restore us to our vocation. Restore us to the, uh, the authority that, that you intended for us to have in the world. We love you. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start right here. Uh, verse 18 and 19. Um, Before I go here, I want to remind you, the day before this, um, here's what happened. Jesus um, led a bit of a protest parade against uh, the Roman Empire, who was holding their own protest parade on the west side of the city. Jesus is coming in from the north. He has his own parade and contrasts himself against um, the Roman display of power. Second, um, oh, sorry, I thought you were flagging me down, Michael. You do you. Okay. Second, uh, Jesus then walks into the temple and on his way in, he grabs all the people who have been excommunicated from the temple for whatever reasons of impurity and he drags them all in and he heals them and uh, he stops the sacrifices, he flips the tables and for about two hours or so, the temple became what it was supposed to be all along, a place of healing and wholeness and restoration instead of a place of the pouring out of blood and sacrifices and demands and condemnation. Um, Jesus made everything as it should be Which is what Jesus does That's what shalom is Things being um, as they should be That's what the intention of, of the word of God is To bring peace um, in the mission of God Okay, so After that, he goes home uh, Not to his home, he stays in someone else's home In a town called Bethphage uh, Bethphage is a Greek word which means, It's an Aramaic word Which means um, house of dried figs That will come into play It's not just a random thing. Um, There's a reason he went there. Um, And, uh, okay, I think we're up to speed. He gets up in the morning and he starts heading towards Jerusalem. And here we go. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it and found nothing on it except for leaves. And then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered. Now, people read this and they think, well... I don't understand what he's doing here. I don't understand. It, it seems a little uh, childish. It seems um, like he's throwing a little tantrum. Like, what's going on? Is he hangry? Um, and then some people are like, I've, I've never felt more like Jesus than when I read this. <laughs> um, I, too, have cursed at my fridge when there's nothing in it. Now, um, so... Uh, there's something going on here that we need to understand, um, especially in light of the reaction of the disciples. So look at how the disciples react. Um, when the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They don't have any questions other than, how did it wither so fast? They're not wondering, like, you mad, bro? Like, what are you, what's going on with the tree? Like, why is Jesus acting like this? Why is he cursing the fig tree? They don't have any questions, any quandaries at all. They're just like, wow, look how fast that thing withered. <laughs> so, what do they know that we don't know? Because our questions are not necessarily how did it wither so fast. Our questions are, why in the world is Jesus, what is he mad about? And is this, like, godly? Like, can I, can I act like this? Like, is this, am I molding my life in the, in the shape of Jesus? Now, um, so, when we look at this question down here... Um, what we need to understand is uh, Matthew's audience um, also wouldn't have many questions about um, why Jesus did what he did, which is interesting, which, which causes us to ask a lot of questions about, okay, what do they know that we don't know? Let's figure this out. So to understand this, um, first off, let's talk about some fig tree facts, okay, Dot .com. <laughs> um, okay, so there's some things about the fig tree that are interesting, uh, First off, figs, ripened figs, edible ripened figs, uh, were usually on the tree about June. Passover's in April, <laughs> so like, there's nothing there to eat, anyways. Jesus opened an empty fridge he knew would be empty, and then got mad that there was nothing in it. So, what is going on? Um, so uh, there were. It does say that there was some leaves on the tree. Um, the leaves would come first, and then later on, the figs, at different times of the year, the tree looked vastly different. Younger trees, smaller trees, would oftentimes bloom early, and still do. Um, you can, you can, uh, the, the very young ones, uh, when they get older, they all bloom sort of at the same time, a little later on. Some are early bloomers, right? And they have, like, leaves on the tree, but no figs. But they might appear like, oh, I should be able to find them, but you can't. So, um, there's no figs on the tree, but it has leaves, And so you picture Jesus sort of a smaller tree and him like sort of rifling through the tree, like looking for any kind of figs. And the disciples are like, there's nothing there. We know there's nothing there. He knows there's nothing there. He's obviously being rabbinical and making a point. So what did they know that we don't know? Well, they know the Old Testament. They know the Hebrew scriptures. Um, They know all of the things that the prophets have said about fig trees and about withering and about leaves on the tree but no figs. They've heard this all. They know exactly what is going on. When they were following Jesus heading towards Jerusalem, they didn't bother looking on the fig tree because they know there's nothing there. And when Jesus pauses and he walks over to the fig tree, they all likely stop and think, okay, we're about to hear something. We're about to see something, uh, an act of some sort, and we're about to hear a teaching because he's acting out of the ordinary. Now, um, here's what we know. There's this prophet named Jeremiah who um, lashed out at the temple uh, and everyone who worked in the temple, the spiritual leaders of Israel in his day, um, because they weren't being um, the people that God had called them to be. They were doing lots of sacrifices. They were, they were doing lots of praise and worship and all kinds of churchy stuff, but they were not taking care of the poor in their midst. They were not uh, making friends with immigrants and welcoming them in. Welcoming them in. They were not um, uh, being a blessing to the world around them and bringing restoration and healing the way that God's people were always intended to do. Instead, They were really super focused on doctrine and worship, and that's all that they were doing. Uh, They weren't weren't doing anything for the world but condemning them, okay? Um, And so Jeremiah writes and says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain, prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. And then he has a word of judgment for Israel and Jerusalem. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. So you have a tree with leaves but no figs, and you have withering. Um, What I have given them will be taken from them. When Jesus curses the fig tree and it withers, a tree with leaves on it but no figs, um, they're not stupid. They understand exactly what is happening. They understand the fig reference. Not just Jeremiah. Hosea in his day saw the same thing. He also wrote out against God's people and the leaders of God's people who were not exercising justice and mercy in the world, um, were not working to bring healing and reconciliation of all things to, to God in any way. They were, again, um, they were doing their practice, temple practices, but they were also, Hosea describes God, God's people in the form of a marriage. Uh, Israel and Jerusalem are, are the wife, God is the husband, and they are bound together by a covenant. Um, and every time Jerusalem seeks the approval of other earthly kings, he says, You are cheating on me. He literally calls Israel a whore and says, You are cheating on the, and The message of God is, You are cheating on me with these other world leaders that you want the respect of. Okay? That is the language Hosea uses for the people of God. Um, and Hosea says, I will stop all her celebrations. He's speaking as God. Um, Her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals, I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. Um, He says, even the things that are good in your midst, you're attributing and saying that you got from these other kings and worshiping other gods. And he condemns the whole thing. But Hosea remembers a time when it was not like this. He can look back in Israel's history and he can say, there was a time when, like, when, when when we were the people that God had called us to be, and you were you were you were doing things right, and you were exercising justice and mercy. Um, and He says, "When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. It was I'm starving, and there's something beautiful. This is what it was like for the world to see you. But it's not like that anymore, because there's nothing for anyone to eat. There's no figs on the tree." Um, the prophet Micah recognized the same thing. He says, you once were great and you were the way you were supposed to be. But now, Micah says, there is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. And these guys are all speaking for God and they're saying, this is the thoughts that God is having about you right now. So when Jesus walks up to the fig tree, when he's leading them from the town of Bethphage, like they're all, it's all beginning to come together. Like, oh, we stayed in the house of, of unripened figs. And then we're walking towards Jerusalem and there's a fig tree and Jesus stops us and he walks over to the fig tree and makes a scene. He's not mad because there's nothing to eat for himself. He's mad because there's nothing to eat for the world on the fig tree. The fig tree by the first century had come to be representation of Jerusalem. Because that's where the temple was. And so people would, would speak of Jerusalem as a fig tree. The ancient writings always mention fig trees. We are the figs and the world craves us. It was like the best fruit that people could desire back then. I mean, if, if you've had a fig newton, you know. Like, people want them. Like, it's not a cookie. It's fruit and cake. Um, it's, it's ravioli, right? Um, I'll fight you on that. Now, um, okay, so... Jesus is basically saying, um, Israel is no longer bearing the fruit that they were called to, to bear. And I, I want to make this like like as forceful as possible. Jesus walking into Jerusalem and cursing a fig tree is a huge deal, okay? It is a scene. It is like, okay, we all recognize this, right? America, right? Um, we're like, you see this and you're like, yes, that's, our, that's the bird and it's the flag. And, I, and they're just, it's just a bird. It almost was the turkey. Did you know that? It almost what it was. Okay, now, um, just picking, picking things and say. I think that represents us. Sure. But this, now the eagle, represents America. So, Jesus cursing the fig tree walking into America is like crossing the border from like Canada into America. And while you're doing this, burning the American flag and spearing an eagle and saying, let's go. All right? Everyone's like, oh, I think we're going to cause some trouble. I think things are going to end badly. And they, and they did end badly. This, what he's doing is wildly offensive to Jerusalem. Cursing a fig tree and then entering into the city. Everyone knows what you're doing. And imagine how many travelers were on the road that day. Heading into Jerusalem. And they're like, keep walking, son. Don't look at him. Keep walking. Now, okay. Um... Then Jesus turns around and looks at his disciples, and they get out their pens and papers because they're about to hear something, and they know it, okay? So they're amazed that, wow, the tree withered incredibly fast, okay? Notice, this is the difference between what Jesus did and what the prophets did. The prophets were constantly saying, you're not bearing fruit. This is all going to fall. It's going to wither. If you don't bear fruit, the tree will wither because it's unhealthy. It's going to wither and die. Jesus doesn't see fruit on the tree, and he curses it, and Matthew says it instantly died. So what Jesus is saying is, time's up. We're done. Uh, You've had many warnings. You've had many chances. It's been long enough. It's over. Now I'm entering into Jerusalem to take your place. Okay. Um, So Jesus turns around and looks at his disciples. Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe... uh, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, um, a lot of people quote Matthew 21 22 by itself in American context, um, and they ought not do that. Um, things mean in the Bible, okay? When we're talking about biblical interpretation, the Bible means only what it meant to the, the person who wrote it, what they were saying to the person who was receiving it. That's what it means, okay? You can ruminate and you can say, um, I think this is true, and maybe it is true, and I think this is true, and maybe that is true. Don't make the Bible say things that Jesus was not saying. The topic that Jesus was talking about was Jerusalem and God's people not bearing fruit. When he talks about a fig tree withering, he's not literally talking about a fig tree withering. He's saying, you can do this too. They know what he's saying. He's saying the fig tree is Jerusalem. He's saying we can bring reform. Us. Us. Uh, uh, a band of of failed rabbinical students. They were now fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and all this stuff. And he gathered us together and we can make a difference. We can bring this thing down that has gotten corrupt and is not bearing any fruit for anyone. He goes, yes. Um, And remember, we've talked about this before. Um, When Jesus spoke about moving mountains, this is like the third time he said this. And I've talked about this already. Um, A great teacher... In the, in the first century, who could expound and interpret scriptures really well, who could explain and resolve difficulties, was regularly known as an uprooter, uh, a pulverizer of mountains. Someone who could move mountains. And what they're saying is, um, they always spoke about the Torah, the law as a path that you were walking. Um, they would say the Torah, uh, the law of God is a finger pointing. And so you're walking this path, but there's a mountain in the way. And a great biblical teacher in the rabbinical world was one, who could take this great difficulty that kept you from adequately following God in the right way, this thing in scripture, and who could teach it to you in a way that removed the mountain and allowed you to walk straight. Okay? Um, this, I, I believe this still holds true today. Um, that this is work that needs to be done. People approach the scriptures and they say, I want to walk on the path of Jesus, but there's something here I don't see. And a lot of people, their answer is just simply, well, have faith and do it. It's not a good answer. Um, there are mountains that need to be moved. That need to be like, Made valleys, okay? Um, And this is all through scriptures. Um, So in his day, what he's saying is um, the things that have become mountains that have kept people from following God the right way, those mountains can be not just moved, thrown into the sea. Remember, the sea in Jewish theology was this evil, dark place that they didn't go near, a place of uselessness and chaos where demonic activity was. Like, you could throw it in the sea, like, it's out of your way and it will never come back, right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. Um, there is something that is in the way of people in the world coming to God. There is a mountain in the way. And you, my people, you can, you can take this mountain down. You can cause this, this barren fig tree to wither. This is what he's talking about when he says, um, if you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in, in prayer. He's specifically talking about a subject. This is the subject, okay? Okay. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't ask for other things. It's perfectly fine. Um, But don't make this passage about what it's not. Um, So, um, the interesting thing is, when Jesus specifically talks about moving mountains, um, they're walking towards Jerusalem, which is called the Temple Mount. When you go to Jerusalem, you go up. When you leave Jerusalem, you go down, no matter which way you go. North, south, east, or west, you go down. So Jesus is like, this is, there's layers where we slept last night. The words I'm using, the mountain, the fig tree, the whole thing. He's an incredible teacher. He's a prophet. He's using props. He's a, he's a rabbi. He's like offering quandaries. He's causing an uproar. This is what they did. It was brilliant and beautiful. And Jesus is using using the entire arsenal. He says, the temple mount, the, the center of God's work has actually become a hindrance to people actually finding healing in God. And their time is up. And they're done. And we are going to start this new thing. So, um, that's the first part, okay? Um, This is the first event. And now there's a second thing that happens when we go into the temple. Uh, Jesus entered the temple courts. That would be these areas over here. Maybe came in through the tunnels over here. Um, And over here as well. Uh, Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. Okay? Okay? Let's paint this picture. Jesus is there, hundreds, possibly thousands of people gathering around him to hear what he has to say. It's quiet. And he's teaching and he's saying things that the people in the temple do not like, the temple leaders, because it is a threat to their very authority. And he's like, I'm not trying to hide that. I literally just like withered a fig tree out there. Okay. I just, I killed your eagle. And here I am uh, for all these people to help them learn to kill eagles as well. Um, and, And they are threatened by all of this. So. Um, the elders of the people, the elders, each Jewish town would have these Jewish elders. They were usually, um, uh, sometime, uh, most of the time they were like rabbis or retired rabbis and they, uh, they were just the wise old men in the town and people went to them for all the advice and people looked to them. When anything happened, they would look to them and be like, what do we do? Um, so the elders come walking up to Jesus who was teaching these new things that are threatening the temple. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? So big question. They walk up to him, who do you think you are teaching like this, doing this kind of things? I heard you you flip tables yesterday. Like, what are you doing here? Who who gave you all this authority? It's not just that. Um, They recognized his authority. There was a way that the the rabbis taught that meant that they had been trained um, in interpretation, in communication. Um, You can tell a professional. Um, even in Mark 1, um, it, Mark 1.22, it says, it says they hear him talking and it says, they're amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. In other words, like you can tell he's highly trained, not like the scribes. The scribes teach, but they're not trained like rabbis are. And you can kind of tell. This guy's a professional. He's obviously studied. He obviously knows what he's doing. Who taught this guy? This is what they're saying. Um, by what authority are you doing these things? And he asked, who gave you this authority? Now, authority in the Hebrew scriptures is, uh, the word is, is this Hebrew word, shmicha. Everyone say shmicha. Yeah. Yes, okay. I mean, could have been louder and like more Jewish, but whatever. Um, so shmicha is, I love to say it, is, um, it's, I mean, even if you look it up today, they still refer to Jewish ordination as shmicha. Like, um, when someone becomes a rabbi, they receive their shmicha, their, their authority. And the way this happens is you would lay your hands on on the, um, the rabbi. Uh, the, uh, the previous rabbis would lay their hands on the new student who was becoming a rabbi, and they would pronounce some stuff over it. You can see a lot of it uh, in scriptures. The, um, the ordination of, of Isaac to Jacob happens in, in Genesis 27, in a specific way. And then later on it's passed down as Jacob um, ordains uh, Ephraim and Manasseh uh, in, Genesis, uh, in Genesis 48. Um, and as we move forward you see the first person is ordained. Receives their authority. Their shmicha and, and ordains somebody else and ordains somebody else. And it moves on down. We can read about um, um, Moses ordaining and giving shmicha to, uh, to Joshua. Um, in Numbers 27, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. This is very much like ordination of pastors today. It's very similar. Um, Give him some of your authority, your shmicha, uh, so the whole Israel community will obey him. So, Um, There is a recognition by the current authority that this person has authority, we ordain them, to do the work. Um, As a rabbi, you were free to, if you had been ordained and and received your shmicha, then you could uh, could interpret scriptures in new ways. You could gather disciples. Um, You could um, do all kinds of things and and teach in specific ways. Um, Here's the thing. Let's go back to the temple. Jesus is thirty-three years old, and he has disciples. He has authority. He has shmicha. He has all of it. He knows how to banter back and forth, as a rabbi does. Um, Let me put this in perspective for you. He's thirty-three. Hillel, one of the greatest rabbis that ever lived before the time of Christ, who who still has schools today. Hillel received shmicha at seventy years old. That's when he could take disciples. Um, legally, you could do it at thirty. Very few ever did. That's interesting that Jesus started his ministry at thirty. By the way, um, uh, Shemai, on the other opposite end from Hillel, who also still has schools today, um, Shemai received his shmitta at, at eighty-five years old. Jesus is thirty-three. He's been doing this for three years already. Right off the bat, year one, he's going. He's a rabbi. He's got disciples. He's traveling. He's teaching. And he's causing a ruckus everywhere he goes. And he has this new interpretation of the Torah that no one has ever heard. And his yoke, his teaching, is he says, it's not heavy, it's not difficult, it's light, it's easy. It's not a burden. Um, and so they come up to him, and they are very curious. Because they don't even know necessarily where he came from. Um, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you your shmicha? So, one of the ways that the rabbis would communicate is in question. You would initiate a conversation by asking a question. The person would reciprocate by asking another question. And as long as a question is being asked, they can go back and forth. And you can read the ancient writings; it's, it's great. It's a to read. Um, still practice today. Um, you ask questions to keep stuff going. Okay. If someone stops answering a question, the conversation's over. So here we go. Who gave you this authority? Jesus replies, "I will also ask you one question. Let's dance." If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? Now, the answer is always in the question. And so it has something to do with John. And scholars are a little torn on what this means. It could mean either that Jesus uh, was taught and received his teachings in Shmicha by the same person that John was taught by. They were cousins. They grew up together. They knew each other. Um, Maybe they studied together under the same rabbi. Or... It means that Jesus received his ordination from John at his baptism when John laid his hands on him and pronounced to the people, standing among you right now is one who has greater authority than I, and I'm unworthy to untie his laces. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and lays his hands on him and baptizes him, and there's this mystical experience that happens as well. Um... I I tend to agree with the latter. I I think John's ordination of Jesus, I think that's what was going on. And this is the initiation into Jesus instantly starting his ministry. Jesus went out and gathered his disciples. Um, And so Jesus is telling them, I got it from John. And to keep it going, who do you think ordained John? Now, this is a problem because the people loved John. The temple people did not like John because he didn't work in the temple. His father was a priest and John worked out uh, on the other side of the river you know, uh, baptizing people there. And he was like, I'm not going to work in the temple. That thing is corrupt. I'm not going to go in there. So they were upset about John but the people in the temple loved John. So Jesus says, where did John get his? Um, his authority, his shmicha. And they says, they discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, well, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. You know, they didn't ask a question. Jesus like, oh, I, you don't want to play. Okay, let's not. I wish they had answered. I'd like to, I'd like to go farther in this. I, I think that would be amazing. Now, um, so these are the two instances that happened here uh, in the temple. Now, How does all of this connect? There's a fig tree that represents these leaders. They're not bearing fruit. He curses them. And then they ask him, Where did you get your authority? Got it from John, got it from God. Uh, You don't trust my authority. You don't trust the things I'm saying. Um, Yet I have all these followers. Now, um, all of this is about authority, this entire thing. It's about authority. It is about how godly authority is received, how it is attained, how it should be exercised, and how it is lost. That's what these two stories are about. They directly follow. Uh, Jesus makes this contrast in the previous passage. He says, here's everything wrong. Here's why you're going to lose your authority. And this is where we are at right now. Um, Jesus is demanding that the authority of God's people is predicated not upon education, not upon um, pedigree or wealth, or your association to powerful people? I mean, when people are ordained today, you can go ask pastors. And I encourage you to, like, sometime, if you, if you know someone, you have a friend who's a pastor, ask them about their ordination. Ask them, what kind of questions did they ask you when you got ordained and they gave you, they laid their hands on you and ordained you and gave you authority to teach the Bible? Um, what did they ask you? And they're going to say, well, they asked me about my position on, like... Uh, uh, different social issues they asked me my position on like eschatology they asked me about my interpretation of Genesis do I have younger creationism are I a theistic evolutionist they asked me about that my uh, you know communion my background they asked me a lot of doctrinal stuff um, and then asked them this uh, did they ask you about a time when you had to forgive somebody that it was really hard to forgive them when somebody really hurt you good no they didn't they didn't ask me that they never do by the way um, Tell me about a time when uh, somebody was incredibly hurtful to you um, and you were able to respond with grace and reconcile. They're not going to ask you that. They're not concerned with that. Um, Tell me about a time when you poured out, like you reached deep in your pockets and poured out for somebody who was desperately in need. Tell me about a time where you took someone in to help them. Tell me about a time and, and you could list all these things that are the things that Jesus did. Tell me about metaphorically a time when you had to wash somebody's feet um, and humble yourself before them. They don't ask this stuff. You know what they ask when people are being ordained? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you study? Um, who'd you study under? Oh yeah, that's a good pedigree. Um, uh, send me a Vimeo link of you preaching. I really want to see you get it. Just nail it, right? Like, um, how, like um, how, show me some books you've, you've written. How many marketable skills do you have? And really, modern evangelicalism tends to look a lot more like the temple and their leadership than it, than it did with Jesus. Jesus specifically links the authority of God's people to the fig tree. Do they bear fruit? All that other stuff can be, can be taught and can be learned. Do they bear fruit? If not, um, I'm not going to ordain them. Jesus, the way he made disciples, was he gathered these 12 Jewish boys to symbolize Israel reunited and him as king. And he led them and and said, follow me. Everything I do, you're gonna do. And he's washing people's feet and he's healing people. And along the way, he's picking up all kinds of other disciples, an outer ring of disciples. He just did two days earlier, blind men sitting on the side of the road who had been kicked out of the temple because they're blind, which makes them impure and unclean. They were outcast and ostracized as sinners and impure. And Jesus goes to them and how does he make disciples? He kneels down and he says, where did you go to school? No, he heals their eyes and they become his disciples. That is how Jesus made disciples. He made their life whole again. He he poured himself out for them to bring them healing and wholeness. That is how it worked. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, at the end of the book of Matthew, you will see this. He lays his hands on his disciples. He says, go ye into the world, and you make disciples. And you know what they did? They went out, and they laid their hands on people, and they made disciples. And there's always this warning about how you choose um, biblical authority. Because Paul writes to Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, in Ephesus, okay, he says, he says, don't be hasty in laying on of hands. Don't, don't do it too quickly. Don't see somebody and connect with them and be like, oh, we gotta get this guy on our team, he's amazing. Um, don't lay your hands on them so fast. Um, do not share in the sins of others. This is one sentence. By ordaining people who do not bear fruit as your authority, you are sharing in their sins and taking part in the crimes they commit against other people, in the sins that they commit, against God, against the injustices that they pour out on the community around them. And when they arise to be a terrible leader or a bully or whatever in their church, when they steal from the church or when they, in your community, every, when they do this, you have shared in their sins. And that's like threatening. Like that's scary for Paul to say this to Timothy. Don't share. Don't be hasty to choose your leaders. Uh, watch their life. Do they bear fruit? Do they pour themselves out? Are they Christ-like in that way? So, um, what we learn is pretty quickly: we are to pay attention to whom we give authority to. We are not to follow people who are not compassionate. Um, we are not um, to follow people who do not care about the downtrodden and the outcast. Um, that is not. Who we follow. We, I mean, godly leaders don't speak with contempt or shame people or act callously towards the pain and hurt of other people. They don't do it. That is not how godly leaders act. Um, by the way, this is not just about the person leading the Christian community. This is actually about the role of Christians in the world because we are literally called to be a moral and ethical and spiritual authority in this world. And how does that happen? People make you authority and look up to you when you bear fruit and you bless them, when you bring healing to their lives, when you see mountains in front of them and you move them to make things easier for them to work their way towards God and healing and everything. There have been times in human history where the world has looked to the church to seek answers and said, speak for God now, what do we do? That has only happened when the church has been the presence of Jesus in the world. I would argue for the vast majority of Christian history, it has not been so. Right now, I don't think it's so. I think the tree is withering. Um, I think we need to contemplate long and hard about how we make and choose leaders and how, how we go about earning authority in the world as God's people. How are we making disciples? There's two ways to do it. There's two ways that, um, that God's people lead. Um, Dallas Willard says, you can, you can push people or you can pull people. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote from him. He says, in life, some things, can be, some things that can be pulled cannot be pushed and some things that can be pushed cannot be pulled. Making disciples is a matter of pulling people, of drawing them in through who we are and what we say. It is an invitation. It is not a standing back and condemning. If we really want to make disciples, if we want more and more people in this world that see Jesus as king, and that see justice and mercy and, and as, as the way, um, that see Jesus as the one that we follow, um, and, and his life is the pattern that we live by and declare him king. If we want to see people that make decisions centered around life and life-giving things, um, it is, it, people are pulled into that. They're not pushed into it. Um, The two ways that people tend to leave is some people stand back and and they, they condemn and they point and they say, you terrible, horrible sinners. If you want to join us, you must do this and this and this and this and get it all right. And then you can join us. And the natural reaction is, I really don't want to join you. Not interested. And then there's the other way. That is the way of the temple. The way of Jesus is wildly different. Jesus made disciples by going to them and feeding them and healing them, and teaching them. And they naturally saw the authority, and they naturally followed. And they were the most loyal disciples that the day before were literally taking the clothes off their backs and decorating the streets so his donkey could walk through in a parade. Those are loyal followers. And so, I mean, what do we do with all of this? Um, how does all of this play out into our life? What is the modern application of this? Well, we are called to be a moral authority in the world. We are. We are. It is something that is earned. It is not just given, okay? Um, so there's all kinds of things that, that Christians are, are warring against that we want to end, that we don't think should exist. Wars and, 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 and disease and famine and um, um, all kinds of things that, that tear people apart and that hurt people, the brokenness of families. Um, for the last two weeks, it's been, it's been abortion. It's been the big topic that everyone has been debating. And so how do we think about these things in this way? Um, What we should be doing is contemplating, is our reaction more like the temple or more like Christ? Are we standing back and condemning and and ostracizing, calling names and shaming or are we humbling ourselves, stepping down off the throne and entering down to people and saying, what mountains are in your way that keep you from heading down the right path, from following the hand pointing towards God. And there are many. In the abortion debate alone, I mean, um, for a woman pondering abortion, leading like Christ and reacting like Christ, it, it means moving mountains for her if she is contemplating this. It, it means possibly shouldering the financial burden of health care. We as a church, we can pull our money and take care of somebody who is in need. That should never be a problem. We should be a people who are advocating and saying, uh, and saying, what is the problem? What do you need? I will gladly pour out myself to bring life. Gladly. Um, second, um, for a pregnant woman, it may be something like adoption. Maybe she just doesn't, doesn't want to keep it. The church is un- uniquely qualified to bring babies in, adopt them and love them. We dedicate like a thousand babies a week here. Like, <laughs> this is what we do. We we want to provide a community for them so they can grow and they can thrive. Like this is, yes, we will take your baby. Raise it as one of our, Christians have always done this, by the way. All the way back to the times of infanticide in the Roman Empire where they would leave unwanted little girls in the Roman amphitheater and the Christians every single night would go down and take these exposed girls and they would take them home. Um, Maybe it's childcare because maybe it's a single mother and she knows I can't work. I can't take care of a child. I can't work because if if I'm home with the baby, I can't. The church is uniquely qualified. It's the hands and feet of God to take care of that child while the mother works and to help tighten up any any ends that need tightening up. Um, what um, What about the fact that a lot of women are just in this position, they're terrified and they're alone, and they can tell nobody? The church should be a community of confession where we can be honest about our trials and our struggles without fear of condemnation and shame, Um, we are the ears of God that can listen, we are the arms and and the hands of God that can wrap our arms around um, and, and pull this person close to our chest and hold them tight and say, we are with you, God is for you and with you, and we will walk with you through this. Do not be afraid. This is the church's reaction. You can react like the temple if you want and stand back and condemn, cast out, or you can be like Christ and make a disciple by bringing healing. This is the reaction that we are supposed to have. What are the mountains in their way? How do you remove these things? And this is just one topic amongst the thousands of topics that that Christians as our own kingdom citizens of of, of the kingdom of heaven following King Jesus. This is how we live. Um there is immigration issues that we, we can help. we are uniquely qualified. We have a book all about immigrants. Like, all about it. Um, uh, education, homelessness, spiritual doubt. You know how many people are kicked out of churches every year because they doubt and they ask a question. we are like, oh, we don't ask that question. I think you're off the worship team. Like, <laughs> the book of Matthew ends with Jesus standing there and a whole bunch of disciples, and it says, and some of them doubted. Some of them are like, I don't think that's really Jesus. I kind of saw what happened. Like, it's okay. We're with you. We'll walk with you through this. Um, what about substance abuse? What about incarcerated persons? Can people find redemption? Can they be made whole again? What are, the, what are the mountains in their way that keep them from making better decisions? What, what is it? And how can we pour ourselves out? How, maybe our bodies need to be broken and our blood poured out for them. Sounds like Christ. Um, but if we don't, if we choose to go the route of the temple, the fig tree will wither. It will not bear fruit. It will be done. And the responsibility of the moral and ethical authority and spiritual authority in the world that people gave an ear to, it will be taken from us and given to another movement. While evangelicalism collapses. And maybe it will. Um, Maybe it needs to. When Jesus said, you can do these things, you can move these mountains, he's talking to them about reform. You can make things whole again. You. You can Um, why don't we take communion why don't our communion servers go and take the elements and spread around the room Um, this is a physical display of the heart of the church the body of Christ has been broken for you the blood of Christ has been poured out for you so that you could find healing and wholeness so that you can see that Jesus is Lord no king is higher no king is as wise or smart. No, no king can bring peace as Jesus does the rightful king of all. I invite you to if you haven 't joined this kingdom, take part in it. It simply starts with communion and understanding that like this is how we are ordering our life and so for those of you uh, who want to take communion, you everyone in this room is welcome, come to the table, taste. Uh, and see the Lord is good let's pray Father thank you for this place for these people guide us continue to bring us wholeness and healing continue to uh, fashion us in your image teaching us to pour ourselves out Um, teach us to bear fruit so that we can be um, as we were created to be as you first looked at Adam and Eve and said be fruitful we know that means many things and this is one of them Allow us to learn what it means to really bear fruit. In your name, amen. Take some time, talk to Jesus.